Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 53, Just Having Some Fun. Yeah, 53. This is the start of the second year. I can't believe I've made it through one year of podcasting. It has been incredible. I especially enjoy hearing from all of you questions, your comments, your stories. Greatly enjoy that. Thank you for reaching out. My name's Roger Kugler. This is Working at Woodworking Podcast, where I hope to inspire you to help you provide you some information and hopefully some encouragement that you can take your woodworking skills to the next level, either part-time or full-time, reaching out into your community, helping some people, and making some money while you're doing that. So today, in celebration of one year, I thought maybe we would just kind of have some fun. Get away from all that business stuff that I usually try to cover. So, story time. I'm a great student of history. Well, not a great student, but I enjoy learning about and, and reading about history. And one of my favorite stories combine history and woodworkers famous woodworkers and not-so-famous woodworkers. One of those is Patrick Henry. Now, Patrick Henry is considered one of the founding fathers of the U.S. He was a farmer, a attorney, a statesman. He lived in Virginia, and he was a great orator. This was a period of time where we, well, we didn't have really electricity. Ben Franklin kind of discovered it or says he discovered it, but we didn't have microphones and loudspeakers and and things like that. So if you were a politician, you needed to have a good voice and you needed to be able to reach out and connect with people. And it's said that Patrick Henry was exactly that, a a great orator. Now, at this time in, in American history, around 1775, there was growing dissatisfaction with the British rule over the colonies. For one thing, Britain controlled, well, everything. And they were the major manufacturer and importer. There were, well, for instance, woodworking tools. There was a period of time where it was illegal for you to make woodworking tools in the colonies. They had to be purchased from toolmakers in England. And so all these rules and restrictions, and of course, if you order a set of chisels from England, there was a hefty duty, a tax placed on those whenever they, they did get to the colonies. And, and so all this, this angst just kept building. And, and there was a kind of almost a fervor for, for, for change, for breaking away from the, the British crown. And one of the things that affected people was finishing products. I mean, we just couldn't get them from England. And if we could, they were exorbitantly expensive because of all the duties. Now, now Patrick Henry, in addition to all the other things, he also enjoyed woodworking. He loved to build furniture. And he was working on a Philadelphia high boy and going out into his shop one day he discovered that his homemade concoction of of pine tar and resin and minerals, not mineral spirits, um, spirits, basically alcohol, just totally failed. Did not work at all. And in desperation and at the top of his lungs, he was heard shouting, Give me Liberon or give me death! <laughs> 
<laughs> now, now Liberon was a, a, a great line of finishing products from England, and it's it's still you know produced today. Def is a a very good finishing product. Say, I like their spray can lacquer. They they do a real good job with that. And so that that frustration just welled up, and he he just kind of lost it there. You've probably been there yourself. But being a great orator, he must have liked the way that sounded because we hear that again in 1775 when he was giving a speech at the Second Virginia Convention when he stood up and to rally his fellow delegates at the top of his voice shouted, Give me liberty or give me death. That's the speech that every school kid knows or, well, used to know. And Henry went on and was a very pivotal person in the uh, the American Revolution uh, for independence and served two terms as governor, I, th- I think. So interesting story. Another interesting story that has a historical context is uh, involves Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was an Englishman. He came to the U.S. to Philadelphia. He was a, a friend of Benjamin Franklin. He was a political theorist, a revolutionary, a writer, a publisher. He was the editor of the Philadelphia Magazine, I believe it was called. And he went on and wrote a pamphlet called Common Sense, which was kind of the kind of the spark that ignited the, the American Revolution. But besides that, Thomas Paine was also a window maker, believe it or not. I don't know if that was something from his, you know, early childhood, young adulthood uh, that he was involved in, but he was known for making windows. And of course, back then you couldn't just go to Home Depot and pick up a window. You had to make it or you had to buy it from a window maker, not to be confused with a widow maker or widow wood comes from Widowmakers. But anyway, he he was a woodworker. He was a window maker. Uh, it said that the work fit him just perfectly. wonder if that's where we get the term sash and burn, or is that slash and burn? I don't know. Now, I'm a big fan of Roy Underhill. Always have been. Ever since episode one, I have several of his books. As he mentioned one time, I am one of the seven people who have bought his Khrushchev's Left Shoe book. Great read. Highly recommend it. So a lot of what I'm going to mention here, you've probably heard Roy also mention. And I'll unabashedly use his work and beg for forgiveness later. One story that comes to mind involves William Shakespeare. Now, you all know William Shakespeare, great playwright, poet, actor, lived in the the late 1500s, early 1600s, and he was also a woodworker. And there's a story that he was building a bookcase one time, because after all, I mean, he was very, very great writer and needed some place to store that vast collection that he was producing, some 39 plays, 154 sonnets, and four long narrative poems that he had completed in his lifetime. He was working on his bookcase and was apparently fearful that due to its location near a door, it was going to get banged up. And many of you know that you can ease the edge of a corner 
on furniture and it it will be able to absorb more abuse, more uh, bumps and bangs. So he was probably, you know, trying to contemplate what he was going to do with this bookcase, how he was going to finish the the edges. And as the story goes, he was sitting in his workshop one very late night, and he was overheard repeating over and over again, to bead or not to bead? That is the question. Tis it nobler to suffer the bumps and bangs of outrageous chambermaids, porters, and washerwomen, or to take arms against the plane and to rub off, so to get to sleep, perchance to dream, aye, to rub and then to bed. <laughs> I like that one. Okay, another story. This involves flat earthers. I mean, flat woodworkers. You know, people who, who make flat woodworking things, bookcases, cabinets, tables, you know, flat work. Uh, Frank Klaus has a, a term, boxologist, that he uses to describe people who, who just make flat things. On the other hand, there are wood turners. These are people who go around and around and around and produce incredibly beautiful things. You know, table legs, chair legs, spindles, stair parts, balusters. Some of them work in trendware where they make bowls and cups and scoops and plates, things that we, we use in the kitchen or we eat off of. And one day I was at a woodworking show and I, I bumped into a, a wood turner. And we were talking, and he kind of started bemoaning the fact that he just thought his career was spiraling out of control. That things just seemed to be going around and around. That he had a hard time finishing anything. I asked if he had tried Liberon products, and he said, Oh, no, way too expensive. That would be the death of me. <laughs> <laughs> he said he'd been concentrating on turning large bowls, but that just kept getting him down. Not really having anything constructive to offer, I suggested that maybe he bit off more than he could hew. <laughs> he said he had some small bowls that sold well. That's great, I said. One good turning deserves another. He said that he thought about doing more flat work, casework. Maybe he would become a real woodworker. <laughs> no, my friend, I said, you already are. Woodturners are well-rounded woodworkers. Another guy was listening to us. <laughs> he kind of butted in and started making all kinds of outlandish suggestions. It was clear he didn't know his ash from a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more. Historical. Abraham Lincoln, the president during the, the Civil War in the United States, he was giving his inaugural speech on his second term. I think this was at Gettysburg. And unlike his first speech, where he was talking about the the looming war coming. South Carolina had already succeeded by then. And he basically kind of just summarized and said, you guys know what's going on. I don't need to, to repeat it. 
But to kind of tie everything up, he ended the speech by saying, with mallets towards none. What? Too soon? Okay, maybe another time. So I ask, how are your coping skills? I mean, the way things are going on today, things are changing rapidly, people are out of work, it's hard to find good labor. So just how are you doing? Now, I've always found coping easier if you have a miter saw. You're hanging trim. You need to cut an inside corner. Cut that piece of trim at a 45-degree angle. Then, with your coping saw, you can go through and cut out the wood that is revealed inside that mitered portion, if this makes sense. Think about a pre-finished piece of baseboard. It's white. So when you cut that 45 you're going to have the white baseboard and then the exposed wood. Use the coping saw to go through and remove the wood that you see. The saw will do a great amount of it, but for like curves and things like that, I use a rat tail file and just, you know, file that down until I'm just left with the wood. Great coping skill. Something that you practice, you can get really good at it, and your corners will come together. Nobody will see them. My wife came into the, the shop the other day, and I was just screaming. I was just stomping up and down and yelling and, and just kind of having a fit. There was a piece of wood laying on the, the bench, and I was calling it all kinds of names. What? You call yourself a piece of oak? You're nothing more than a willow. You're you're lower than basswood. You're you're not even balsa wood. And she's like, "What in the world are you doing?" I said, "I'm trying to distress this wood." <laughs> okay, that one was old. I know, I know. Anyway, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Oh, I do have one more story. This involves the Lone Ranger, and of course, everybody knows the uh, the theme song to the Long the Lone Ranger, the William Tell Overture, and in the the TV series, how he would yell, "Hi ho, Silver Maple, away!" <laughs> Sometimes I crack myself up. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell I work alone. I don't have a lot of people to talk to. So anyway, I think that's enough today. Else I may hurt myself. You have no idea how much I've muted uh, through throughout this. Uh, recommendations uh, for the episode. Um, I would invite you to check out Ede's Coach Shop. Uh, an incredible craftsman. His episode, Coming Clean, Confessions, Repentance, and Restoration. Uh, apparently, he has been suffering with a vice that he's been really struggling with. And it's it's interesting to see how he's he's coped with it. Uh, missed jobs. Um, kitchens, kitchen chairs, kitchen tables, refinish. Um, small shop. I don't really like doing those anyway. And now, since I'm, I'm swamped... Um, distracted uh, lower right-hand corner. I'm not getting a whole bunch done, and I just passed on the job. Boy, did I screw up. Um, not really a screw up. 
I have a, a Festool random orbit sander, the uh, ETS-125. You know, the, the cheap one. Uh, well, if you can call $200 cheap. And I, I like to use it on canoes. Whenever I get the first coat of paint down on the canoe, I'll go over it with the, the random orbit sander because, well, frankly, I'm just way too lazy to do that by hand anymore. And it does a good job. One of the problems with doing that, though, is I've noticed that paint will kind of build up on the pad. And I've been complaining that the pad's wearing out and that my, my sandpaper or my Arbornet, you know, the, the mesh sandpaper, I really like that stuff, just doesn't stick very well anymore. And I never put two and two together uh, until, out of frustration, I went in and I ordered a, a new replacement pad. Then it kind of dawned on me, yeah, I know, a little dense, um, that that paint buildup might have something to do with the sandpaper not sticking. So I, I grabbed a, a wire brush, knowing that I had a replacement on order, that if I screwed this up, I could wait for the replacement pad. I took the wire brush to the uh, sanding pad and went to town on the the paint. And that cleaned up really well, really easily. I half figured that I would end up scraping the, the little hooks off because it's it's so aggressive. I mean, it's a, a wire brush, but it didn't. It held up really well. And guess what? <laughs> yeah, my sandpaper sticks. So not a total screw up. It's always good to have something like a new pad in reserve because someday it is going to wear out and I, I will need it. So anyway, I would like to thank our listeners in Gifford, Illinois for tuning in and also in Lublin, Poland. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the number of, of people uh, listening. Uh, a lot of people in, in obviously the U.S., but also in Europe and in Australia. I greatly appreciate that. So until next episode, may the grain be with you.